Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! Welcome to the first ever Molecast with your host, the Crazy Octopus, and digging like demented moles have moly and molo. Yes, Caesar! <laughs> How did you get on the radio? For starters, Ireland haven't named their team yet for the opener of the Six Nations against France in Paris on Saturday evening. Um, Molo. Yeah. Um, what do you think Ireland's starting back row will be against France on Saturday? It's a good question. I think everyone um, assumes that Peter Manny is going to be six, CJ Standard is going to be at eight, and there's a bit of a toss-up at open side between the two Leinster players, Dan Levy and Josh van der Flyer. Personally, I'd go with Levy. I think Levy's a bit more aggression and a bit more dirt to him. He's also just physically bigger. Uh, the French are going to go. They're going to go nuts and, and um, first game of of the tournament for them. First game under Jack Brunel. First game at home. They're going to throw absolutely everything at us. I think if we go with Levy, we have a bit more weight and we have a bit more dirt, a bit more aggression, and I also think we have a slightly better carrying game. Molly. I think uh, Josh's carrying is very good. I th- um, but he's light, so I'm thinking of the match at, uh, against New Zealand, really, where probably his pace took them by surprise. They probably hadn't planned for him being quite so quick. He picks very good aggressive lines. Um, that said, I I definitely pick Levy. I think that he slipped always been an underrated player I think by the Irish rugby public um, he's, he's played an awful lot and I think one of the things that he does is he's a technically very accomplished player who can do everything I'd certainly be of the belief that good teams can play well in more than one way and I think Heaslip gives you that I think he's a good tackler I think he's a good line out option I think he's a good carrier I think that he's uh, in the right place a lot. I think you get 80 minutes out of him. Do I think he's as good as other players at any one of those things? No, I think you could name players in the Irish setup who are better than him at particular attributes of the game. I don't think there's anybody who can do everything as well and do it for 80 minutes uh, over five matches, you know, five matches over seven weeks. So with that loss, like I'm a big fan of Jordy Murphy. I think he's played really well um, this season. I think he's versatile, which can be a bit of a curse, but is a good thing for, for curse for a player, good thing for a a, a twenty three or a or a squad. Um, but really, like Stander and Omani are are nailed on, in most people's minds. I I I can't see Schmidt changing that based on what his selections have been he he sticks to the guys that he knows um international rugby's hard as well and the the guys are proven so personally speaking i would go with levy starting and i go with geordie on the bench because well um look, there's an argument to start geordie at eight ahead of ahead of stander um i don't know how strong that argument is just on form at the moment yeah, just on form and the, the amount of different things he can do. That said, like international rugby is hard and, and Stander brings a lot of physicality to his ball carrying and he gives you 80 minutes and he's brave. He's, um, yeah, he's, he's a, 
he's he's also expanded his game a little bit from what I've seen anyway this season's throwing a lot more passes than he did in previous years now I also think that's down to the fact he's getting cleverer as he's get older but you also can't play the way he played for three years in a row for Munster without picking up niggling injuries which become longer term injuries it's, I compare him to uh, Lee Meath Ferris Sean O'Brien all guys who are extremely abrasive he used to love running into people um and just pick up loads of injuries. And I think Stander has thus far been quite resilient, but nobody lasts forever. No, I think the the guy who hasn't come up in this conversation is is Jack Conan. I uh, I think Jack Conan's great once you get 10 points up against somebody. I don't think he's, he's, he's improved. I mean, I thought the Exeter match in Lansdowne Road was one of the best matches he's played because he went looking for the ball against tough opposition when Leinster weren't winning or weren't winning by that much. But I prefer Max Deegan as a, a Leinster number eight this season. Um, for for just that reason, Deegan's hungrier for the ball when when Leinster aren't ahead. Um, like Conan played brilliantly against Japan when we were fifteen points up after the first five minutes, pretty much. Um, I, I think, think a lot of uh, Jack Conan's career has been defined by uh, playing as a flat track bully. Uh, in Leinster teams that were better than other uh, second second string teams. That's where he sort of got his start when Jamie Heasel was playing international rugby. So he played a lot of rugby um, against, you know, during the Six Nations for Leinster. He's played a lot of rugby against everyone, though, this season. And, you know, he's been very productive. He's got a lot of, if you look at his statistics, he's got a lot of clean breaks, a lot of defenders beaten, offloads, a lot of meters to his name. And, you know, he arguably outperformed Stander when they played against each other. But in a in a big game, in a Six Nations game, I would definitely go with Stander ahead of ahead of Conan. I think it's the the other interesting thing to look at is the makeup of the back row that'll take the pitch against France against the one that did last year when we had Standard six, he's at eight, and O'Brien at seven. And that was a back row which is extremely physical, extremely experienced. Even though Stander may not have a huge amount of caps, he'd a lot of rugby under his belt. And you know, we were just about even Stevens with the French back row. Obviously, Pickamoles was outstandingly the best player in the entire tournament last year. Um, but, you know, down Heaslip, down O'Brien, it's going to be a big bask in, uh, in, in Paris. I thought that where the Argentinians were very strong, uh, well, the, the one area in particular uh, was their line-out. When they played in Dublin, they looked uh, a bit lacking in confidence. They looked like they were at the end of a long season. They looked like a team that's not accustomed to winning. But their line-out was flawless. We, did, we didn't get near it. Um, Omani gives us a very strong line-out option. You bring in... Um, your open side, you're really picking a line-out option as your open side. Like You don't when you have Shawnee and... Most teams wouldn't. Vanderfleer picks off a few. Leamy picks off a few. So I think at number eight, you need somebody who can give you a fourth option in the lineup. Um, Jordy's probably the best at that um, of of the sort of of the contenders. But I think I think Standard will get it, and I think he deserves it. In terms of the lineup, though, it looks like France are going to be relying uh, on their non-first choice hookers or th- second choice hookers and have a debutante on the bench. So it might be an area of weakness, potentially. It could be, and it's something which Omani has shown, especially for Munster, when they use him very early, very forward in the lineup. 
which puts enormous pressure on the thrower. Now, it's not always successful. You know, he did play against Leinster in uh, on on uh, at Christmas time, and you know, Leinster's lineup worked pretty well. Um, but he has been very successful over the last well, the entirety of his career. He's an outstanding lineup for it. Um, the French do tend to throw a lot to their blind side, who's typically their outstanding line out for it. So maybe it, it I don't think O'Mahony's I don't think O'Mahony's uh, position is really uh, a massive piece of the discussion for this game with Reese Ruddock injured. Um maybe it should be, you know. If you look at O'Mahony and you look at him over the season, you can say whatever you want about him, but you can't get over the game line in the Pro twelve. He's not be able to do it in international rugby. He hasn't done it all season, he hasn't done it for years. I think it's talking about the opposition for the first time. It's the most confident I've ever been in an Irish team going to Paris. I I wouldn't have always had my head in my hands either. I think there's a sort of having grown up watching Irish rugby in the eighties. There's a, an innate optimism that was necessary, if not always uh, well earned, about the the Six Nations. But I I genuinely. And it's a ground that we've never done particularly well in. We might have eked out wins, but they've they've been really, really hard fought. Um, it's been a really difficult place for us to go. But I think the the World Cup quarterfinal was an absolute watershed for Irish rugby and its relationship against France because the French were really, really up for that. And wasn't a quarterfinal. Wasn't a quarterfinal, wasn't it? Yes, of course. Pool. Last game of the pool, essentially a knockout, and we beat them. And it meant that they had to play New Zealand in, of course, the quarterfinal. So, um, that, uh, and as well as they started last year, we we look very comfortable against them. Now, they have a new coach in Jacques Brunel. I think they've had a bit more time with their players in the lead-up compared to previous seasons, but... Brunel's a bad appointment. Who would you have had, though? Galtier? Galtier, probably. Um... Vern Cotter, if they if he would have taken the job, Brunel is it's the same age as Guinoves. He's in Guinoves' shadow his entire career. He's not as good as Guinoves. Like they were born literally within a month of each other. Guinoves has won something like eleven bouquets and four Heineken cups, and uh, Brunel has won one bouquet. There's no, there's no, there's not a shadow of a doubt who the better coach is. So you fired somebody who's an outstanding coach, the best coach of his generation, and you got somebody who's maybe the second best coach of his generation in a particular country. And I certainly thought that uh, Nobe's appointment was the last of that generation, the Jacques Ferru generation. So Jacques Ferru is dead, but he's only he? a, well, the ghost of Napoleon lives on. And it does live on. I mean, he's the, the French scrum halves are the dominant partner, which is unusual in, in the Northern Hemisphere, where the out half is... The man, really, the out half calls the shots uh, for most other, or for all the other Northern Hemisphere, I mean, generalization, but uh, France is very unusual in that the scrum half kicks an awful lot, often place kicks, um, and is often the bigger name of the two. Um, you know, France are going to miss Para more. That They haven't settled on an out half over the last... 25 years. Yeah. Since who? Thierry Lacroix, probably, but I mean, he played centre as well. He played centre. Didier Cambrobero, yeah. You played in the wing. Cambrobero played in the wing. Sure did. Lescobora then. 30 years. Lescobora. Similar to the back row, I think there's 
two established parties in the back three as well in Keith Earls and Rob Kearney who almost certainly get the nod and then there's one place up for grabs with a couple of youngish players who have uh, shown a great deal of promise who do you think will get the berth on the right wing? I think it'll be Jacob Stockdale I think it makes an awful lot of sense to go big winger, small winger rather than two small wingers if you had two big wingers you can go with two big wingers two small wingers I'm not entirely convinced I think Stockdale's great in the air his defence in a couple of games since the November Internationals has been poor. During the November Internationals, it was Grant. Um, I also think he's clearly an outstanding athlete, an outstanding winger. Uh, while Andrew Conway was going to run very close, I think Conway will probably settle for the 23 jersey. He's had a very, very good start to the season. He had an excellent last season. Um, he's very much a like-for-like player with Keith Earls in, in my eyes. Uh, I don't think Larmer will, will get into the French... Uh, match day 23 but I'm fairly sure he will get into the Italian match day 23 the following week um, also I think that the way that Joe Schmidt might use our bench will be very close to the exact opposite way Brunel will use his bench Brunel will use his bench slightly earlier get on big heavy players renew the, the, uh, the I suppose the absolute shell fire that will go under and Schmidt will try and speed things up. It'll be a case of bringing on possibly Keen Healy, probably Sean Cronin, probably James Ryan, probably Josh Vanderfleer, Luke McGrath, Joey Carberry, and Andrew Conway. The one thing, if you were saying that there's a an element that runs through all those players, is pace. Uh, so I think that we'll try and, and play with huge pace in the last, probably not the last 20 minutes, probably more like 12 to 16 minutes. I think Con will be a part of it. I think Carberry will be a part of that as well. Are you confident that Carberry will be the sub fly half? I am. Even with Conway at, at uh, as the outside back cover, who does cover fifteen extremely well, I think that uh, I think that Schmidt and I think all the all the uh, the staff in the Irish coaching section will be looked to get Carberry playing rugby for Ireland. Uh, it's not a knock on Ian Keatley, who I think is a good player having a good season. But I think the Carberry has... Uh, I think Carberry's just more talented. Um, and he's more capable of doing special things at international level. How You mentioned Keen Healy coming off the bench. How do you justify starting Keen Healy ahead of Jack McGrath? How would I justify starting Keen? Yeah. Well, starting Jack ahead of Keen if Keen's coming off the bench. I think it's going to be such... Uh, it's going to be such a collision fest... Uh, for the first 50 minutes and I think that you get more pop from Keane than you do from Jack if you use him in the last I think it's going to be a close game I don't think we're going to run away with it so I think we're going to need to do something different in the second half than we did in the first half uh, and I think that Keane gives you just phenomenal pop off the bench it's not it's definitely a, a finisher's Eddie Jones's phrase um, a finisher situation rather than a first best second best yeah I had a few qualms with that Back three selection, and for the reasons outlined, I think that Larmer is the most exciting Irish player I can remember since Simon Gagan. Pretty much for the reason that you don't know what he's going to do when he gets the ball, in that he can he can move either direction uh, so quick, he can change direction. It's something that you either have or you don't. You can try to refine it, but you, you can't just learn it, or else Paulie would have been really agile. Um 
but I don't I, I think when he gets tackled even with one arm at Pro 12 level or Pro 14 now he's he's too easy to stop uh, whereas Keith Earls is on fire Stockdale was on fire in November and just looks such a confident finisher and Rob Carney played really well in November for a guy who I suppose doesn't have the pace that he used to has had a serious back injury doesn't play as much rugby as others just because of an accumulation of injuries but is, is just capable of producing I think he's a guy who's benefited from playing in one position specializing um I think he's got a lot of confidence I think he has the confidence of Joe and I think he's got a really good temperament yeah he's a, he's a real leader you know, he is a very, very confident person. He comes across as a very confident person, certainly. Um, and he's also been legitimately one of, if not the best player in his position in the world at one stage of his career. People always, the criticism was he never reached his 2009 high again. But his form in, in 2012 when he won European Player of the Year was possibly, in my in my opinion, probably better. Um uh, and, you know, he's a guy who has been, as I say, he has been a world-class player, uh, which is something very few people can say, can honestly say about themselves. And I would, I would hold very strongly to that. I think he has been a world-class player. And um, if you have that confidence of, as Keen Healy has, as Sean O'Brien has, Sexton has, Conor Murray. He truly is the people's princess. <laughs> <laughs> She really was the people's princess. You said there a second ago that um, Jordan Larmer was the most exciting Irish player since Simon Gagan. And it looks like um, Gary Ringrose probably won't get a game in the midfield for Ireland. And he was the last person you would say he was the most exciting Irish uh, you know, back since Simon Gagan. Um, do we think it's going to be Robbie Henshaw and Bundyaki in the midfield? I think it is, and I think to talk about exciting player, like obviously Gordon Darcy was extremely agile on his feet, extremely quick, um, could make coruscating runs from the middle of the park. Obviously, Dricko never really did anything wrong. Like So frequently took the right option, so frequently could pull things out of the bag. I think when I say exciting with regards to Larmer is... It's it's an unpredictability that he has, that he 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 runs back from positions where you almost have your head in your hands, because it looks like he's gone up a blind alley and you just can't see it. And he has this he has like this incredible ability to beat guys where, like Jason Robinson used to be able to, because his feet are so quick, his balance is so good. Um. Whereas Ringrose and I I'd agree with Odriska like when Ringrose made his breakthrough. Um, in in provincial rugby, he actually looked capable of standing of of, of making the step up to international rugby because his his fundamentals were really good. He had really good habits. He had really good balance as Larmer. Larmer has really good balance, and he was obviously a second centre. Yeah, he's very Brendan Mullen esque. Very Brendan Mullen esque. Rose Ring Rose since coming back from injury, his form hasn't been that good. I don't think it's merited selection. I think that. I don't think Aki's form has been that good. Um, huge fan of Robbie Henshaw, so his form has been outstanding. Uh, he's added a passing range to his game that I 
I think has surprised surprised me a bit. Um, just that he's developed it, not that he has the work ethic and the and the competitiveness to develop it. Um, Aki isn't the same player that he was two seasons ago when he, as the saying goes, put the team on his back, he dog. Did, he did put the team on his back, and I absolutely second that. Um, he's he's beloved of Connacht fans and just merely criticising him. Well, if anybody hears this, <laughs> they'll probably complain about it. But uh, he didn't play well. Uh, I thought he was... Well, not that he didn't play well. I thought he was very one-dimensional against South Africa. It was, it was a pretty decent defensive dimension. Uh, I thought he was quite poor against Argentina. And of the four centres who played in the big games, in, or in all the games, rather, including McCluskey and, and Chris Farrell, I, I thought Hackey was probably the worst. Um, but I think that if we choose a back row, uh, the likely back row... We're going to need an awful lot of go forward from both 12 and 13. So you also can't rule out the f- importance of uh, their shared history. Henshaw and Aki shared history playing together at, for, for Connacht at, at 12 and 13, where they were an outstanding pairing. And, you know, I think Aki has before been outstanding and could be again. But at the moment, he's not. IRFU making Jamie Heaslip the third highest paid player in Ireland is a much bigger story than Gerbant Grobler signing for Munster. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, when... I think that when you talk about the... <laughs> no. <laughs> well, the last time that France beat us... Um, they literally beat the shit out of us in the rain. They elbowed Johnny Sex in the head and got away with it. And then they forced a scrum penalty try kind of situation to beat us. Yeah. How would you envisage France beating us on Saturday? The same way. Uh, exactly the same way. I think they will, on occasion, they'll probably pick Fakatawa um, and they might pick Nakatasi. And so they'll have. A lot of pace. Maybe Benjamin Fogg has been playing extremely well at fullback. Said I have pace, but I just see them trying to kick the shit out of us. Um, it's it's very difficult. I can't see Brunel organising a team. Uh, <laughs> I think it's impossible for Brunel to organise a team in a month that's going to be more organised than Joe Schmidt after he's been in in, uh, in charge for four years. So I think they're going to rely on a huge amount of like a nineteen late nineteen eighties French performance. A huge amount of um, of forward muscle, aggressive play, and then a big substitution bout at around forty eight minutes, where they bring on another lump of huge lads and do the same thing again. And hopefully, they can just beat us up. What I expect France to do is what Brunel's Italian teams used to do against England, which is lose. use the blind side. Yeah, lose which is used the blind side an awful lot because with Andy Farrell coaching Ireland's defence and based on how he defended against South Africa in particular, huge amount of line speed, very organised in the middle of the pitch, a lot of guys coming and and what England used to do in that rugby league style defence with the, the wolf pack and all that stuff was put their slower guys on the blind side who don't come up. So the Italians got a lot of... Uh, they, they, the Italians did well against the English, um, both in Twickenham and in Rome for you know certainly the first 50 or 60 minutes by attacking that blind side so i think that's what france will look to do because that's one of brunel's tricks 
I think the challenge for the French is the same as the challenge for the English is that they've got so many capable players that they have to make a decision to leave out. So even, like, I think Irish rugby is really strong at the moment. But when we talk about the Irish team, like, we know who the 23 is going to be. And it's really just a question of, you know, who do you who do you bring in and who do you leave out? Like, I think we all know that Robert Carney is going to start. None of us expect that Jordan Larmer is going to be in the 23. Uh, it's a question of, is it is it uh, Keane Healy or is it Jack McGrath? But... You know, it's all pretty predictable. And I think that when you look at England, um, that was always a problem for them until Stuart Lancaster came along. And, okay, he had a squad because you need to have guys. But he had a pretty good idea of his first 15, um, bar his midfield. And we sort of, we've written about that. I think the Sam Burgess decision got a lot of flack. Personally, I thought that staying loyal to Brad Barrett and having Sam Burgess and Barrett in your midfield while having really quick wingers who didn't have that much football was a terrible selection. I think Barrett was the problem there. But I think that he put a really good spine of a team in place. And I don't think Eddie Jones had to change that much. Eddie Jones came in, picked Marrow at Tojay, moved Farrell out uh, to 12, and it meant he could pick the really quick wingers. Um, and because he had two playmakers in the middle of the pitch, mm. and that that's been really good for England. France haven't had that consistency in selection since probably Scrella. They they didn't have it under Leave the Evermore. Lunatic for they didn't have it under San Andre. They didn't have it under Noves. I mean, it, the characteristic of the French team has been a revolving door policy. Um, it's not picking Francois Trandouk consistently at ten. Um, when he was the obvious guy to pick, even though he mightn't have always been the guy in form, it's having a number of you know very talented scrum halves rotating without being able to lock down a place on the team. And you know, French rugby has other challenges, but I think that's a consistent one when you've got so many players of you know pretty similar standard. Um, so I don't think the French have that coherence as a team, and I don't think they're going to get it under Brunel in the next uh, two weeks. That's why it's really difficult to see them beating Ireland, who who do, who, who know the first 23 is, who've beaten New Zealand, who have a lot of guys who play together on a regular basis. And Schmidt's a conservative selector, but, you know, he's... There's some merit to that as well. So we all think that Ireland are going to beat France. I do. Saturday. I do as well. I do as well. I think it'll probably be tight for an hour. Um, very, very physical all the way through. Um, but I think I think we're better than them and sufficiently better than that we can beat them on their home turf, which is very difficult to do. Beating teams in their home turf in the Six Nations is getting extremely difficult. Focus of attention in France is their gargantuan pack with three specialist props in the front row. Speaking of beating teams away from home, uh, the most exciting victory of the entire autumn was Scotland hosing the Aussies. Glasgow Warriors are playing the Scarlets on the opener of the Six Nations on Saturday. Um, do you think this new exciting Scottish team under Gregor Townsend can pick up an away win um, against uh, quite an unfamiliar looking Wales team, albeit one that's based on the Scarlets, who are probably the second most exciting squad in Europe at the moment? It's a, it's a very good question. I'm really looking forward to the match. I think that Scotland will win. I think there's 
so much more positivity around Scottish international rugby than there is around Welsh international rugby. I think Welsh international rugby, if something goes wrong for them, there's um, because the coach has been there for so long, because Gatlin has been there for so long, people are very, very quick to pick on him and blame him. Um, whereas there just seems to be positivity around Scottish international, even though Glasgow were extremely disappointing in the European Cup. Um, there still seems to be huge positivity around uh, Scottish international rugby. And I think that despite their very significant problems in the front row, especially the loss of Ferguson, which is huge, he's an outstanding player, I think that they might have enough... Um, yeah, they might have enough to, to edge a win in a very exciting game. I differ. I think that Wales will win that one. I am very interested in Scotland this season. I I backed them for the last two seasons under Vern Cotter because I thought the price was attractive. Um, I thought Cotter was a very good coach. I thought that they had the spine of a very good team in Glasgow. But I think there's a difference between you know having an exciting team on paper and winning i think that that's be a confidence be experience is it squad you know squad depth you need to have more across your entire team and scotland just aren't there yet so you know they were they were very exciting to beat australia um and it's certainly a conversation about who's going to win in cardiff i think that the welch should have won the championship two seasons ago based on who they had playing, based on how well their sort of injury-ravaged team did in the World Cup, um, based on the age profile of a really accomplished set of players. And a lot of those guys are missing a lot. And the fact that they didn't win then is bad for their confidence. When I look at the Welsh team that won three Grand Slams, the, the common thread was uh, Duncan Jones and uh, Gethin Jenkins, Adam Jones and uh, Ryan Jones. And, and Shane Williams. When, uh, and when, and they... Don't forget little Adam Shane. And little, little Shane, the bouncy ball. And when Adam Jones retired, or wasn't, sorry, he wasn't picked. And Mike Phillips. And they tried to move on from... Um, it was always going to be difficult to do, and the fact that they're still going to the Geth and Jenkins well. Has he been picked this weekend? Nope. So there you go. I mean, that that's, uh, you know, that's really the last of, of that, of that um, that's the last of that triumvirate. And um, it's kind of open. Like there's, but I still think Wales are going to win. What would you think about the idea that coaching style is not, you know, he's, Fame for uh, his very abrasive collision-based Warren ball. How do you say that would adapt to the kind of like hot potato, um, seedier pants rugby that uh, Wayne Pivac Scarlets are playing? So like, I'd be amazed if Gatland can make that transition. I think that is. I, I I've never seen Gatland team play like Pivac has his team playing. It. I don't think that they can play that well. I think that um, also, you know, there's significant personalities missing from that that Scarlet's team. Tyke Byrne has been a huge part of that segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barkley. Uh, John Barkley has been a huge part of that team. He's, a, he's the captain. 
Now, did there, if you look at how the Scarlets play, it's not just in attack. Well, everyone focuses on how great their attack is, and right, so it's so enjoyable. What I think is as much interesting as their attack is how they defend. How they defend rooks. They either have nobody in or two people in. And two people, I'd say 60% of the time, are Barkley and Tyke burn together. One going in for the poach and one trying to hold him up so he, he stays on his feet. Um, and Wales will have Navidi, who's great over the ball. They could have had Kobe Davis or Deporch. They could have played a sort of similar game to when they played with Warburton on the blind side uh, and, and Deporch on the open side. Instead, they've gone with Ross Moriarty, who, pff, who I don't think is a number eight at all. Um... Chingler's very good and a very accomplished, a most accomplished line-out player. <laughs> and he's very fast. You know, they have, like, Wales have good players and they have players who are capable of throwing around, but once that stuff starts to go, when they played against Bath, when the Scarlets played against Bath, everything stuck. It wasn't just, this is how good they always are. That's why they always try to play, but not everything sticks. When they played against Bath, they were sensational. It's it was, They were capable of, playing the All Blacks like that and beating them. But not everything sticks all the time. And if you have players who aren't familiar with them, things start not sticking. It can look very... Unstructured play becomes shit chaos, not good chaos. I think that the the last two matches of the Scarlet's pool were an indicator of how good they can be when they look unplayable against Bath and a reminder of the prim- primacy of a big forward pack, big mean forward pack with good set pieces because everything went right for the Scarlets in the first five minutes. In the first time I've ever seen uh, the Clanetti Park, Scarlet Park, full. And it didn't bother Toulon in the slightest. They went down and scored off the kickoff. They should have had a penalty in the last few minutes uh, to level the game. Wayne Barnes just wasn't going to penalise the Scarlets at home in that match. And as a reminder of how good Toulon are, but also that at the at the top level of rugby, your forwards, your set piece proficiency is is just massive. It's enormous. It's the reason that England are so hard to beat in Twickenham. Is oh, that absolutely. You've, you've got huge men who are tough guys who know what they're doing. A good English team, mm-hmm. and there's a good English team at the moment. And the record in Twickenham is superb. And it's the reason that no team in the world goes there with real confidence. Even New Zealand, I think. It's, I think it's the hardest match for the All Blacks at the moment. I think that, you know, for the reason that it's at the end of their season. But just just because of that, because the English are so big and strong and it's it's such an important part of the game and they've such a good place kicker and all. Farrell. So to go back to Wales and the, the, the question, no, I don't, I don't think Gatland is... Uh, I think what Gatland is very good at is picking a team and identifying guys that are confident. And I think that Scarlet's team has a lot of confident guys. I don't think Gatlin's going to change his style of rugby after 20 years of doing the same thing. But he's been very good at 20 years yeah. of uh, of picking a team, of of time when to get guys into his squad, of taking chances on guys, um, and of making calls. He's so successful. Gatlin is so successful. Whether you like him or not personally, or even whether you know, you just dislike the public persona, He's, he's so successful, and his style of rugby was so influential at one stage. At one stage, all anybody wanted to do was put six foot four guys at, at number 12, because Jamie Roberts did it. Like, Joe Schmidt wanted to do it. Everyone wanted to do it. England wanted to put a bigger guy at 12. <laughs> when they put Bannon in there at 13, so it made you don't understand this. 
Uh, but getting back to what uh, Mo Lee said there about playing England and Twickenham, which I could not agree more with. England can just roll out guys. Like, everyone sort of forgets George Cruz, who had an iffy game in the first Lions test, having had an extremely good tour up to that point. Now he's the forgotten man. George Cruz is good player. Joe Launchbury is a super player. Courtney Laws finished the Lions tour in outstanding form. Mauro Toje. They're just four second rows who probably get into every other every other team in the Six Nations, I think. Each each one of those players would have a very good shout at getting Certainly, into it. Certainly, yeah. Um, and, you know... Again, I think Billy Vunapola is is an outstanding player and an incredibly difficult player to play against. And he's a huge loss to England. He was a huge loss to the Lions. Uh, he's a huge loss to England. Um, but, you know, you look around who they can pick. They can pick Ben Morgan or, I don't know, Nathan Hughes is his mom, Sam Simmons from Exeter. Like They do have a lot of depth, England. A lot of depth. Haskell's banned. They can just go... You know, they can go like for like they didn't actually even bother to include Tom Wood in their squad, a guy who probably has fifty caps at this stage. Um Underhill is gonna be there thereabouts, Robshaw's injured. You know, they have a lot of players around. And like Robshaw for me is one of the most underrated players in the Six Nations. People think he's shit and he's he's exceptionally good. He's like Heaslip in that he can he can do a bit of everything. Which is really valuable when you're picking a team and you know that you're gonna have to, you want two of these guys to be available for 80 minutes and be able to play in a different way and to be able to play with different players when you introduce your subs. He also does a very good, massively gooded face, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, massive, hugely humbled. Humbled, massively, massively humbled. Gutted. Got, he hasn't had to be gutted for quite a while, though, because um, they've won everything recently. He's still massively humble. But he is gutted. The narrative of the Six Nations... Uh, expects Ireland to rock up to Twickenham on St. Patrick's Day for a Grand Slam decider against England. I obviously don't think it's going to be that simple, but do you see England retaining the Six Nations title for the third year in a row, given their sequence of fixtures, as in they're playing the second-best team from last year at home? Yeah, it's a, it's a, very, it's a very good question, a very difficult uh, prediction to make. You know, the two times that we won it in 14 and 15, it was came down to points for and against. Um, I think it's going to be extremely difficult uh, to beat England and Twickenham. Uh, extremely difficult on any day. Patrick's day, last day, first day. Any England are so difficult to beat in Twickenham. It could definitely come down to points. We have... We have we have Italy at home. It's huge. Now we ran up a score in them away from home. Normally Italy are reasonably defensively solid when they're playing in Rome. Especially uh, in the first game of the season. Yeah. They weren't last season. We whipped them. Um and I think we'll I think we'll do well against them in Lansdowne Road. So that could be really it could be really important because I don't think we'll win the slam. I think when we talk about English rugby, that uh, Stuart Lancaster was obviously the, the predecessor. Stuart Lancaster's rehabilitated, rehabilitated himself in Dublin 
and is now linked to every failing English job that comes up. So Northampton uh, has been, you know, I'm only waiting for Sale to be thrown into the mix. He's northern, he's a northern lad. Um, Matt O'Connor is worn out as welcome in Leicester, so I'd imagine it's only a matter of time there. I think the thing about Stuart Lancaster that goes unsaid is that he's never going to coach England again. So the motivation to go back to England and take on a head coach job isn't as strong because he's, he's just you're just going to take the flack. You're going to have to deal with the salary cap. You're going to have to deal with the club that doesn't have as many good players as the club that you're at and where you're doing a lot of coaching. So there's obviously going to be a bump in... I don't know what Lancaster's on in Leinster, but I would imagine there'd be a bump in salary to take over a, a director of a premiership club. But I think he's got a better chance of getting the Irish job than he does of getting... The, like, a miles better chance of getting the Irish job than the English job. So it's curious from an Irish perspective to see him linked... It's only a matter of time before he returns to Blatty. Like, I can't see it. I thought Stuart Lancaster was Scottish. <laughs> he is, of course. <laughs> Under the no years residency rule, he is Scottish. Ah, the good old days. <laughs> Windsor Castle's in Scotland, isn't it? <laughs> um, so apparently Gerbrandt Grobler started a fight with some, some lads from Terranure outside Kylie's. <laughs> <laughs> While he was high on goofballs. One of those almost unstoppable French surges of power and skill and pace. And Patrice Lagisquet makes it 19 tries for France for him. No stopping the Bayonne Express. France 14, Ireland 20. That's very, very believable. Very believable. Might be a little bit tighter than that. I wouldn't be surprised if France scored, I don't know, 14, 20. Maybe 16, 20. They could win it. With a last score. Sounds reasonable to me. Wales, 30. Scotland, 32. I'm thinking about 21-12 to Wales. I think I think that it's going to be close, and I think I'd be surprised with that high score in, 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 in the start of February. Even, even, with the, even with the roof held, I think it could be 25. Italy 3, England 36. Yeah, well, these, they, these are all very good um, predictions. I hope. I mean, I don't think Italy are going to score a try against England. I think the Italians, I think they do miles better. I think it'd be about 15, 25 to England. Do I think they'll do miles better? Yes, I think they will. <laughs> oh now he's got Wallace to his left and he's on his way 10, 9, 5, 3 caught down wonderful try 